0: Chris Broadbent. One medal was given to one of the athletes in a car park. One of the other athletes has still never been given their medal. Sort of race which I'm really proud of because it was a big race. It was a World Champ final. And um, yeah,
1: I won it convincingly. I'm like, what do you do when you meet your mum after 42 years or whatever? Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by the effervescent Olympic World European and Commonwealth medalist Jamie Bolch. The Welsh runner was a popular crowd-pleaser throughout his career, who ran with a smile on his face in an era where the men's 400 metres was arguably the UK's most competitive domestic event. Jamie, it's good to see you. Hey, it's great to be on here. Lovely to see you after quite a while. (laughs) It has been a while, it has been a while, yeah, but I think we're we're aging aging like fine wine, Jamie. That's good to see Exactly. (laughs) Good. So tell me about your childhood. You grew up, obviously, in Wales, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. So grew up in South Wales. Um, actually, I was born in Nottingham of all, all places. So I've got red blood, so I'm Welsh through and through. Um, but I, I, I was uh, born in Nottingham, moved to South Wales when I was six months old. Um, I was adopted. Um, my mum and dad who raised me brought me down and, uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. It was a great um, – I was very lucky because where they lived, they had some big house, loads of fields, got to run around them quite a lot, and um yeah, i just got really fond memories of growing up down in South Wales and just having these magical moments that every year was the summer fate in a little uh, village I used to live in in Hentless and oh, yeah i just
1: I've just got some amazing memories of my mum and dad and my brother and two sisters. Good, good. Well, we'll get onto the adopted side of things later on because that's something that came back into your life. But, but I, I can just imagine you was a really energetic kid. Were you bouncing around the place doing sport yeah. galore, gymnastics and all the rest? Is that what's going on?
0: <laughs> gymnastics, you know, I love that. Yeah, you I, uh, yeah, I did do a lot of sport when I was a child. Um, I was, I'm still the same now was in, I'm um, that bouncy character. I'm going to be 50 this year in May and, and, I'm still like got lots of energy. So you can imagine me when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, I was just some kid. So I think athletics sort of saved me in a way because if I had not done athletics, I I don't know what I'd have done. So um, massively into sport as a kid, good at all sports. The only sport I was rubbish at is football, but rugby, cricket, trampoline and gymnastics, athletics, obviously, tennis. I was I was pretty skilled at most things, which I think annoyed a lot of people when I was a kid. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> burn the energy off then. Um, and um, tell me about your athletics. How did that all start? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a funny story, really, of how I got into it. Um, every athlete has always got their own version of uh, crazy stuff. Well, mine was at sports day in my junior school, and I was 10, 10, 11 years old. It was the last year in my junior school anyway. And I was involved in a, a race called the obstacle race. All right, so the obstacle race, you start you had to start off running ten meters with an egg and spoon, put the egg and spoon down, then go over one of those wooden benches you'd always see in the school, then go into this into this um sack like that and go into the sack and bounce onto the sack, then go underneath the class mat and sprint to the finish. Anyway, my headmaster said, On your marks, get set. Go. So I start running with the egg and spoon, uh, go over the wooden bench, into the sack like that, underneath the crash mat. And because I couldn't see where I was going, I ended up coming out of the side. And my master goes, Jamie, you've cheated. You've got to go back to the start. So (laughs) I went all the way back to the start, picked up the egg and spoon, ran 10 metres with the egg and spoon, over the wooden bench, underneath uh, into the sack, underneath the crash mat, sprinted to the finish. (laughs) Crossed the line. And I ended up winning the race. So I went twice as fast as every kid in the whole school. And uh, <laughs> luckily for me, my headmaster was a runner, uh, Mr. Atkins. And he said, you know, I think you should join the running club, which was Newport Harriers. Uh, so from that point, did you start to win straight away? I never, I didn't just win everything. So I, I, I got used to losing quite a bit when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And that really helped me. To, a, to understand what losing is like and gave me that, you know, inspiration to try and win. And it was when I got to 17, 16, 17 it was, and suddenly whoosh, that one year, bang. And the next thing you know, I'm racing Darren Campbell in Stoke at the British Junior Championship. So, mm-hmm. You know, it went from being pretty good to suddenly
1: being one of the best in Britain pretty much overnight, you know. Good, good. 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 And you did get through to the European Juniors and World Juniors in successive years, didn't you? You were a 200 meter runner back then, weren't you? Uh,
0: yeah. Well, it was a 100-200 meter run. I got, to, I went to the Europeans, uh, made it to the final in the 200 meters. Went to the World Juniors in '91, the year after, made it to the final of the 200 meters. Ran 20.8, um, 9.2. Sorry, 20.92. Mattel Bolden won it, Darren Campbell comes second, and this guy from Africa came third. So very good. You know, they went on to win Olympic medals, those guys. So um, that was in Seoul in Korea. And then we ran in I ran in the 4 by metres, and we broke the world junior record. So, yeah, I was a sprinter, uh, you know, a, a short distance sprinter
1: then to start off. What was it like? I mean, was it quite an exotic experience going to Korea and the likes at that age? Yeah, absolutely loved it. You know, I I just felt really lucky to to
0: represent you know Great Britain at that age. You know, and and our our juniors, we had some amazing juniors. You know, Paula Radcliffe, Denise Lewis, Darren Campbell, Steve Smith. Do you know what I mean? Just to name a couple, Catherine Mary. You know what I mean. I'm reading off names who went on to do some you know remarkable things in in athletics, and I feel very privileged to have been in that era. Um, and 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 to travel the country with you know having the British vest on the the tracksuit on you know you just I I just felt really privileged and honoured to be part of that team and I it really really then set me on the path to want to get to the next level which is obviously the Olympics and the senior championships you know
1: yeah yeah so I guess but you, you you moved through and you went to 400 meters and you had well a year or so you got your first senior vest through really, you have Commonwealth Games European indoors that type of thing. But the big one was Atlanta. You got yourself uh, at, at your first uh, first Olympics in Atlanta. Um, yeah. How was that? How was that all experience? Well, that was amazing. Well, it, was, it was it was mad, right? People don't really know how I'd become a
0: 400 metre runner. Well, Colin Jackson at the Commonwealth Games in 94, um, he said, I can see you've got talent and let's bring it into perspective. Colin in 93 broke the world record over the 110 metre hurdles. So he was yeah. at the of his career in 94 a year after that at the commonwealth games he said to me um how would you like me to be your coach like what All right jackson wants to be my coach and i am he's just won a world champs he's the best in the world he's Colin, and um i was like yeah you know um and so from that in 90 late 94 i went over to his house in florida limford christie colin jackson Um, Who else was there? Darren Campbell. You had Merlin Otty, Frankie Fredericks, Mark Hoy, John Regis, Jeremy, Darren Brayford. We had the best sprints group in the world. And so I went from being pretty good to suddenly being submerged constantly in this environment in warm weather with the best athletes on the planet. So it was literally Colin was coaching me for 100 and 200 years, not for 400 But I got so fit that winter, I did a 400 in a relay run as as a bit of a joke. And there was a guy called Adrian Thomas, who was one of the British athletics team coaches from Wales. Lovely, lovely man. And he said, "James, if you run really fast in this British league run in Cardiff, we'll consider you to represent Great Britain in the relay at the European Champs. I was like, what? (laughs) Well, are you serious? He went, yeah, run fast. There was nobody in this race. It was just like no fast athletes in this race. In Cardiff, they gave me the bat and I ran a 45 flat relay split against no one. <laughs> and they were like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. who, who is this guy? Like So they didn't pick me for the Europeans, which I was a bit disgruntled about because he said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But they, they got me to represent Great Britain down in Narbonne in France about a week or two later. Broke the Welsh record in, <coughs> Forty-five-three something or forty-five-four-zero, and ran a relay split of forty-four-three. So from me getting coached by Colin and me doing a random four-by-four relay at a British League in Cardiff enabled me to then to go on a totally different uh, path, and the rest is history, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, did, you found your event then, obviously. Yeah. Um, so off you go to Atlanta, and, uh, I mean, how was that the first Olympics? Well, it was amazing. I mean, you, know, you can imagine I was 23. I was sharing with Darren Campbell, who's
0: like the biggest, craziest guy in the team. Um, and I'm, I'm there, you know, I'm at this Olympics, but in that team, you and Thomas, Mark Richardson, and Roger Black and myself, you know, to bring it into perspective, I came fourth in the, in the, sorry, in the British trials, fourth, right? um in
1: forty four seventy one,
0: yeah right i i didn't even make i didn't even make the team the individual that's how fast everyone was running uh he <laughs> so just snuck in uh, ahead of me in those in those trials and i think he ran forty four sixty nine. that race to this day is still the fastest race ever in the country mm-hmm. from a domestic lot and i don't think you'll ever see a race like it um so yeah headed to atlanta Knew we had one of the fastest teams on the planet. Felt amazing. We all felt confident. We were all sort of, you know, egos flying. You know, you could look at Roger. He got a silver medal against Michael Johnson in the individual. So, you know, he was rolling. Ewan was itching to prove himself. So was I. And so was Mark. And, you know, we 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 broke the British-European record that day, um, which still stands, what is it, 27, 28 years later, or whatever it is. It's like crazy to think that, you know, 256 um, you know, nobody's touched it. Not even the 1991 relay squad, which everyone talks about. They were a whole second, but, you know, slower than us. You know, to bring the perspective, you know, the great Chris Akebucci coming up the home straight, well, we would have battered that team, you know. <laughs> so
1: yeah, yeah. it just
0: shows you how better we were as a quartet. And, um, you know, I'm proud to be part of that. You know, I'm proud to still be part of a quartet, which means something in in the history of, British athletics, especially in 4x4 four four running.
1: Yeah, it was just, yeah great first Olympics for you, getting that silver medal. There also seems to be a real bond between you and Ewan, uh, Roger and Mark. I mean, I did see I did see on social media recently, you got together for a beer, you guys. It's really nice to see, you know, because <laughs> because the athletics team is chucked together of people that are, you know, physically gifted, they're talented. You're not necessarily going to be buddies, are you? No, no. You know, it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird thing, Mum... You know, we, we've got a little WhatsApp group going on, the
0: four of us, and, um. Hm That's
1: exclusive, that's exclusive
0: one, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, nice little exclusive group, just the four And it was brilliant, right? I, I You know, we started talking late last year, and suddenly, and I think it must have been doing because he loves a beer, and he said, yeah, should we, should we all meet up at a pub? And I was like, yeah, let's meet up at a pub. And we've, we've, no, ne- we've never, the four of us, ever met in a pub before. You know, because when you compete, you can go to the pub and such. you know what I mean? Or you may go individually in the winter But we all met up, and it was the best night. I, the stories we had. I walked. I, I had an event before that, and uh, so I turned up late. And I came into the pub, and I was laughing within the first minute. Somebody said something, which I'm not going to repeat on you, because it's, it's not <laughs> it's not over 18s. But the first thing they said was something. right? <laughs> And I forgot about it. Ah, <coughs> oh, belly roaring. And in fact, Roger was only chatting to my partner the other day, Charlie. He said, Oh, tell Jamie we'll have to meet up again soon. And I I just think this is magical, that. You know, I think that we have got something special. Uh, and I think it will remain until we're, you know, until we're very old men, you know?
1: Yeah. And when it comes to getting the rounds in, was it the same re- order as well? So, Roger, was taking the ankle leg, was he, all the time again? <laughs> <laughs> Roger took the ankle the ang- to
0: like, yeah, I don't think you even bought a pint that night,
1: you know what I mean? <laughs> good, so good, stuff. You know? <laughs> good, stuff. Good um, stuff. Next year, you did actually get the, um, well, you, you ended up subsequently getting a world gold, didn't you? Because of uh, Antonio Pettigrew. Antonio Pettigrew, yeah, yeah, I, mean, it's, it, it, I think it's 2010 it 2010, it was found that he'd been dope at the time, so he did actually get upgraded from a silver to a gold. What's the... I mean, what was the experience like then, and what do you, how do you reflect upon that now? Can you enjoy it? Yeah, no, not really. I, you know, I said that quite quickly. No, <laughs> you know,
0: the whole thing, you know, first and foremost, Antonio Pettigrew committed suicide after that, which I think is devastating. So I want to say that first off. Um, and you know, if there was an opportunity to give him his medal and that not to happen, I'd prefer to see him around and have a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Nothing, but that but saying turning on to the next part of it it's we never got given any medals we never got given the the original gold medals from that championships we got these fake rubbish not even replicas if I showed you the medal you'd laugh it looks like a chocolate coin you get at Christmas time it's awful and one medal was given to one of the athletes in a car park one of the other athletes has still never been given their medal i got given my medal down at the senate down in cardiff um and you just think you know we're we created history we we you know we still are the 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 leading team in uk athletics ever by far in the four by four and I just find it really sad that there's not been any sort of um celebration of what we actually achieved. Yeah, so it's almost 30 years ago, and you just think, you know, we're still the fastest team out there. And we were, well, when we were competing, we were like household names, you know, it was a big, even now, like, I still walk down the street, Jamie, you know what I mean? I think this is a long time ago, and I... I just think it's really sad that it's not been recognised of our achievement. I I don't say that from an ego perspective. I say that purely from just an an athletic achievement perspective. I just think something like that should be recognised. And I think that it shouldn't be cast aside. And and I know the other three in the team would be saying the same thing, you know. Um, That World Championships in 1997... um, we genuinely thought we could have won that race. Uh, and it, you know, so we, if you see video footage of it afterwards, we're not really that happy that we come second because we knew that we were the best team on the planet. That year difference from 96 to 97 made a massive difference in our psyche of how we wanted to achieve. You know, um, three of us got to the, got, got to the final of the world championships that year. So I think it shows you that where we were at. Um, so. You know something was afoot, and you know X amount of years later, Antonio Pettigrew come out and was proven to have taken drugs. And now, if you look back at that team and you see how fast he was running up the home straight, you've got RK. <laughs> you know, you blatantly see he was, you know, he was taking it. You see, physically can see that he, he, you know, he didn't lose any energy. So I think, you know, the whole thing. I think if it was the four of us on this call right now, I think they would all be saying, "Yeah, it's it's really disappointing how." the whole situation got handled um from from you know UK athletics um perspective and obviously the wider public
1: yeah yeah fair enough yeah yeah Yeah, uh, it's, it's all swept, swept away, isn't it? If it's a doping story, it's a bad PR mm-hmm. for the sports You can see why that happens. Yeah, um, yeah. you. But individually, you were, you were going very well this time. You got, you got world indoor silver. You were very good indoors. Um, you reached the world final, like you say. Um, things were going well, weren't they? The ne- next, next, the next Commonwealth Games did, did well. Fourth, you know, fourth is not the most enjoyable position, but you were you were going places, weren't you? Yeah, I was going
0: places. I was hoping to
1: have got a medal, you know, at that next
0: Commonwealth in, in 98. Got injured earlier that year in my last training run in Lanzarote with Frankie Frederick. Pulled my hamstring. Uh, so it took me a pretty much half a season to get back. And I remember training with Ewan Thomas in South Africa for the World Cup. And when I was training with him, I, I was running with him in every rep. And Ewan in 98 was brilliant, yeah. right? You know, He was, he was sublime. And I remember running with him and I remember thinking I can keep up with him in every run and I'm thinking, why does anyone hold this guy to a pedestal when I'm, you know, so when I got to the, when I got to the, um, Commonwealth Games, I suddenly realised, well, it's only, it's only Ewan and I wasn't intimidated by what he had done on the track. So when it comes to the semi-final, we got into the home straight and he said to me before the race, he said, Jamie, if you're with me at 300 metres, I'm going to say something to you. And I thought, he's got no idea of what shape I'm in. You know, he doesn't really know, right? So I got to three hundred metres and I turned to him and I said something which I'm not gonna repeat on here, but <laughs> and he looked like, What? Like and I started running with no you know, just messing about like and I to show that I've got you covered, like I've got this covered, you know, however fast you think you are, I'm with you, mate, right? And I think um so we came up the home straight, he ran forty four six, I ran forty four eight. The only regret I think I've got on that race is I reckon both of us, if we had run properly, we would have broken the European record and taken it to a new level. I mean, you know, you've got um, you know, the guys now running sort of like quicker than what we were running back then, but I do believe, you know, Hudson Smith, I think we would have taken out that record to low forty fours. And it's, that's my only regret from that day. I just think if I'd come into the home straight and just hurtled up the home straight, it might have been a 43, 90 or low 44. So, but it was a great championship, it's great fun. I always love representing Wales. In fact, I preferred representing Wales and representing Great Britain because living in Wales, you're very patriotic, very proud. I always wanted to draw yeah. on that. Rest. And so for me, and, and having a great teammate like you was just brilliant. I mean, both of us just messing about and
1: <laughs> having yeah, fun. I, I do remember that semi-final. I mean, you were just effortless, weren't they, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. good fun. Good times. Good. good. Next, next year, arguably your biggest achievement, winning the world indoors, uh, in Japan, gold medalist in the, in the indoor 400 metres. You were, you were quite suited to the 400 metres indoors, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I, I tell you why that is. is It's funny, right? Because what I always hear over the years, um, and somebody said it to me a couple of years ago, "Oh, the 400 meters indoors is made for shorter people." And I'm like, it's almost like it's almost like the tall person uses it as an excuse for why they're getting their butt kicked. Right? <laughs> That's the bottom line of it. And to give it in perspective, you know, people like Bruni Mar- Marie Rose from France, really tall guy back in the day. Frankie Fredericks has got, uh, I think he's still got the uh, the, the uh, world indoor uh, record, and he was over six foot. You know, you've got these people, Carlson Warhol now is proving how fast a tall person can run indoors. So back in the day, people used to say it was made for shorter people. No, if you're in lane one, get it. But when you're a good athlete, you're not going to be in lane one. You're going to be in lane four, five, six. Do you know I mean, you will you know unless you're unlucky being in the heat so i always found that as a negative slant on people who were very good indoors um and so yeah 1999 for me was i felt i felt ready i messed up in 97 um sunday bardo ended up beating me in the final and i i, I did it all wrong i was nervous i was scared the opportunity arose i should have won it i messed it up i failed as far as i'm concerned and 1999 I went that's not going to happen that is not going to happen today you know and I'll tell you how I won the world indoors right a week before or three four five days before I trained with Frankie Fredericks Frankie Fredericks had just run 99 when 99 for 200 meters was crazy quick I know there's lots of athletes running quicker now with the new technology and spikes or whatever people are just running faster but basically 199. me and frankie had four 100 meters runs to do in australia the first one good peg second one faster third one faster again last one flat out so it's just me and frankie on a track and basically in short we were running the first one got running the second one on the last one frankie turns me goes jamie i'm gonna run flat out in this and i'm thinking frankie's just run 99 a week before in Australia, right? So I'm going, okay, so he's in nine point shape for the 100 metres. My is only 10.5. So he said, are you ready? Three, two, one, go. And we started running down the track. He beat me by about that much. And I went, That's about a foot, yeah, wow. I went, I must have run 10.1. Like, like, in my head, I went, and if you now watch the video footage of how I won the world championships, I was so confident that I was the fastest athlete on the planet over definitely the 200 metres in that race. You know, I reckon I was most probably the second fastest athlete over 200 metres at that time in the world right then. So if you watch the race and you look back at it, you'll see me jog the first 150 metres. I'm last just before they go to the bell and I hammered it through everyone because I knew I had that speed. And then what did I do when I got to the 200 meters? I put the brakes back on, everyone had to pile into the back of me. It was a formality. It was the easiest win I'd ever done at any sort of championships and confidence and, you know, having the confidence and having the right attribute and mindset and having then all the training equals results and equals gold medals and that was my sort of race which i'm really proud of because it was a big race it was a world champ final and um yeah i won it convincingly so i always sort of like i always see these young athletes now and they're on the track and especially in the indoors and i'm watching them and i'm going why are you doing that <laughs> Why isn't your coach telling you not to do that, you know? And I see so many mistakes on our British athletes indoor running, and I just think, you know, I'm not saying I'm a coach, but, you know, I've got one of the most medals, I think, ever in, in, in British indoor running, and I just think I just think it would be really nice to
1: wheel me out every now and then and just give some advice to these athletes which maybe need it. Yeah, you definitely ran that one, like, with a, a tunnel vision. There was a, it's on YouTube, that video. There's a definite... It's definite uh, Intent about you, I would say. You're going to win gold. Yeah. 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 So I, I guess you, you, you're one of the best in the world at this time. You get invited to all the meets in Monaco, Rome, these sort of places. What, what are your memories of competing on the, on those big stages?
0: Oh, I absolutely loved
1: it. Um, Did you have a favourite?
0: Yeah. Um, my favourite track was uh, Lausanne and because I ran my uh, PB there, in 44, 57. And I remember I had beaten Mark Rich- Richardson the week before at the British Championships, and I was confident. It was a guy outside me called Antoine Maybank. Didn't know who he was. And he was outside me, and I hammered round the first turn, hammered down the back straight, and I still hadn't made an impression on this guy. I'm thinking, who the hell is? This? Kicked again, round the, the next turn, went past Mark, or could feel me eating at Mark's ground got into the home street, still had made an impression on this guy, kicked up the home street. I don't think I've ever kicked four times like I did in that. And I come up the home street going, I'm not catching this guy up. Crossed the line and I thought it said 45. One, well, no, I'm not fucking heck. I've run a bad race. And Maury Plant, God rest his soul, who's passed away now, who's a lovely man from Australian Athletics and worked with uh, UKA and stuff, he, he came up and hugged me and Mark, he said, well done, well done. I was like, what? I've run bad. He said, you've just ra- ran a personal best. I think Mark that day ran 44, three something, three, three eight or something like that. And I ran 44.57. And so that was my fastest race I'd ever run. And I, you know, I loved that track. I loved the meeting. I loved the food. I loved the hotel room. I always used to love competing in foreign countries because, you know, it was, it was always that air of, um, feeling slightly nervous but excited at the same time. And I, I always loved competing. I was not one of these athletes to ever shy away from meetings or ever shy away from a competitor because, you know, why are we there to run? We're there to run because we're there to compete and we're there to compete to try and win. So I would I would put myself on the line every day of the week if needed, you know,
1: um, and I, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Good, good, good. Uh, and the next big one was Sydney um, later in the season, uh, Olympic year. But it didn't quite right. go to plan, did it for you that year?
0: Oh, I, I, I had a shocker, and the, the, the worst part about it is I was in amazing shape that year, and there's not often I've got regrets in athletics, and where where you just feel. You've left something on the table and that year I did. I I, I really felt that I was in amazing shape and I felt that I could have done something special in Sydney. But again, if your mind's not right, then everything, all the the, the other attributes and the wheels fall off. And what you find, and I, 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 being a, a very, very retired athlete now, I see this on, I see this in a lot of athletes. I see it in a lot of athletes when You know they get into the later years in their careers and they start thinking too much you know they start analyzing everything you know they start oh the pressure's on oh everyone's thinking about how i should run and stuff like that starts playing on your mind but what i've learned massively since retirement well the only people who care about you is yourself that's the first thing the only person who really cares about me is me there's people around the peripheral, like my partner, my kids, and, and my mum and dad, etc. So you've got those type of people. But even those people who love you unconditionally, it's still just you, you know? Like, you'll see an athlete who's running doors now. a like Prescott, for example. Give him as a perfect example. You know, he was obviously hoping to go to the, uh, the Europeans and do a lot better than he did. Um, stuff happened. Didn't quite go right for him. Everyone else is on to the next thing. Everyone else is doing their next thing, and nobody really cares. Uh, but the weight he may possibly have on himself is, oh, what a calamity! And I, oh, uh, you know, but nobody ultimately cares. Like, oh, he, he lost. Oh, he won. Oh, great! Everyone's everyone's concerned about their own lives, and I think, you know, the psychology of sport. If an athlete can really understand that, athletes would fly that much faster and more consistently just take the pressure off because when you get to my age and you're a retired athlete I can't do what I used to do and I would love to go back 25 years with my mindset now and go guess let's get on the line let's get on that line (laughs) because I know if I could go back in my career I would kick back most of the time just because I've learned so much in life and uh, I think that's one thing which is missing, the psychology of sport. And you can get psychologists out there, but if they haven't really achieved or done it themselves, they may know, not know what the fear is or what the pressures are. Ultimately, they may have gone to university to study it, but unless you've actually lived it uh, and smelt it and, you know, felt the actual hairs on your back sort of thing, then mm. um, then, yeah, yeah so...
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I do, I do understand what you're saying, Guy. You know, it's, um, and I've been in that pro- performance environment, it can be very, very intense you now, but it's, it's an intense environment, people, the coaches, are, it's a, it's a, particularly around the Olympics, the athletes are tense, the coaches are tense, everyone's tense, it's a big deal. But ultimately, it's, it, it's sport, it, it should be a bit of fun, shouldn't it? I mean, if you were, if you were that kid thinking, in X amount of years' time, I'll we'll be at the Olympic Games running, running, you'd be thrilled to bits, wouldn't you? Yeah,
0: exactly, That you're 100% right. At the end of the day, I always I always say to people if I go to uh, you know if I'm t- talking on stage or something I say I used to run round a track for a living I say how childish is that like <laughs> like running round the track yay look I'm running a <laughs> person it's the most childish job in the world so why do we get so emotionally caught up in it I mean like I I I feel so privileged w- with what I've done in my career and and I just I just wish if I could go back to myself and I was, I, I sort of thought like this quite a lot anyway. But if I could chat to any of the decent athletes in this country now, I'll just go enjoy it. Just really enjoy yourself because in 10, 20 years time, you will not be able to do it.
1: So so after Sydney, I mean, you still had some success. You were, you, were, you were competing in the relay teams and you had won a medal at the World Indoors in Birmingham, uh, bronze. But it, it was coming to the end, wasn't it? How did it finally end for you then? Yeah, well, um, it's, it
0: was one of those things, you know, You, as an athlete, you start knowing when you're, you know, not really at your peak. The worst part about it is that the, the year I retired, I was actually running really well, but I got a little bit of an injury, but my training was going better than ever. So it was a little bit of a, a thing there, but I was living in America at the time, living in Atlanta under the guidance of innocent Ed Beniki, my coach, who's just a legend over the 400 metres from Nigeria. And I had, I flew into Atlanta and I went through passport control. <laughs> as, yeah. I, as I go through passport control, it's this big sort of security passport man. And, he, and he, he takes my passport off me. He doesn't look me in the face and he looks down at my passport and you can see I've travelled a bit. And he goes, hey, I can see you've been in, in and out of this country a load. He said, How are you managing to afford to be into this in this country? And I said, Oh, I'm an athlete. He said, I didn't ask that. He said, I'm I'm wondering how you're managing to afford how you're in this country so much. And he was like really aggressive, right? And I said, The reason I'm in this country is because I'm really good. Right. <laughs> at that point, he looked up at me in the eyes and he gave me this clipboard and said, over there, and I had to go into this interrogation room. And I was in this interrogation room for about two hours, and it, it seemed like I was in this interrogation room with a bunch of murderers, you know. And he was like, you know, all the convicts which are going into America. And then it was me, you know. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's it. I I I got out of the airport, uh, went to Innocent's house, my coach, and I said, I'm retiring. He went, what? I go, I said, I've had enough. I said. I told him about the altercation in the airport and he he was like, yeah, but, and I said, you know what, I think that gave me a signal to retire. And that was it. I, I think I flew home about three days after that and I didn't look at a track for at least five years. Mad end of my career, really. But, you know, I was in my 30s. I'd done a lot. In fact, I think... You know i feel very privileged and lucky to have won the medals i had won or got into the finals or whatever i did in my career being surrounded by you know these great athletes so i think i over excelled in my career to a degree with what i got given at the time and um yeah there's no regrets majorly i i i i didn't really much get injured in my sport there was you know roger you and mark were always injured at some points i managed to go through a pretty much a 10-year career span uh, representing the country each year, you know? And I just think, you know what? Wow, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with that. And I always say I'm five foot eight from Wales, you know, I always laugh at that because the reason I say that because when I go to schools, I go, look, if anyone if anyone can do it, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. You know what I mean? I, I'm proof in the pudding that you just got have a little bit of talent a little bit of commitment. Surround yourself with some amazing people, and you never know what's going to
1: happen. Mm. Okay, good man, good man. So, wh- when you retired, you, you went into a bit of TV work, didn't you? you? Did quite a lot of TV work with children's TV programs and the rest. Yeah. Well,
0: funny enough, I I, I was doing a program called Energize whilst I was um whilst I was competing. I was doing that in ninety seven, ninety eight. And I had I was the host of a TV program and absolutely loved it. It was really good fun. Uh, and I, I love doing TV. I've done Dance on an Ice, you know, Goes Gold, and I've done, what's it called, um, Question, you know, Question Sport many, many a times. Um, done lots of different TV programs. And it's funny because I had a lot of people, when I retired, they thought I was going to 100% go into that sort of career. And at that point, I just thought, you know what, I just want to be out of the public eye and I just want to be normal and I want to go and have a pint of Guinness with my mates and go to a pub and and go to that Indian restaurant I always wanted to go to. So I just fell into other stuff and that was it, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, you've done a few things, haven't you? You've been a sports agent,
0: haven't you, as well? Yeah, I was a sports agent for a few years working for Dolman Solicitors and there was a company called Definitive, Definitive Sports, um, I enjoyed that for a little bit. Um, That was tough. But I enjoyed it. You know, I had some good people on the books like Jay Jones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some good, you know, athletes, good Olympic medalists, um, David Weir, um, Martin Rooney. I was doing some work with for a while and whatnot. So yeah, it was really, really good, exciting time.
1: Yeah, I mean, did did you, did he give you a different viewpoint on the sport that? It, it did actually.
0: Well, I was very lucky because I, when I was an athlete, I was sponsored. And I had some amazing sponsorship deals, you know, such as Yves Salaron, you know, no, no athlete I know was sponsored by a designer clothing label, especially back then. I was doing stuff which people weren't doing, De Beers Diamonds at one point. I was doing some, so I was doing stuff which was really uber cool back then, if you know what I mean. And, um, so when I became a sports agent, I knew what a lot of agencies were missing. And I knew they would just do the bog standard, maybe Nike contracts and the this contract. And I was always trying to do stuff different. For, so I remember, for example, I got um Jay Jones before she won the Olympic gold. I got her, the, the taekwondo athlete, I got her to go on the Jonathan Ross show. And she kicked Jonathan Ross in the head live on the programme, which is brilliant. <coughs> because on the back end of her doing that show, everyone wanted to sponsor it you know what i mean so i was always thinking differently to a normal agent you know just because i knew ultimately what the, the the i knew what the sponsors wanted and i knew what the athlete wanted so yeah i really enjoyed that stint i find it tough at the same time because i think athletes today they they they, they want things a lot easier that like you, you'll get certain athletes they'll say oh have you got well have you got me what you got me and i think well you haven't even been to an olympics yet you know, you've got, to, <laughs> you've got mm. it with your stripes. You can't just get sponsored. Why, why should people sponsor you if you haven't got no medals? You know, get your medals first, and then let's have a conversation. So I find that the rules of the game has changed, and and, and athletes, not every athlete, but athletes of today, I think they want things a lot quicker. But no, you've got to put the graft in first, work hard, get yourself a medal, and
1: then have a conversation, you know? Do you think in a funny sort of way that we're in a social media era now, you think it, that would have suited you when you were an athlete because you had, you're more than just a runner Word, you had a bit of presence about you you could do somersaults and lots of, you could, you'd have been quite a fun character on social media and would that have helped you a lot in, in your time? Massively.
0: I think I, like, like, you know, I've, I haven't got many followers, but I've got 20,000 followers on my social media on LinkedIn, which isn't, uh, not on LinkedIn, on, um, Insta, which isn't that many in comparison to what's out there now. But considering you don't really see me on the TV or considering this, that, blah, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of like, say, how you and still out there doing stuff or Colin or whatever or Denise. I'm not out there at all now, I've still got that. So I think back in the day, yeah, I would have been at the sharp end of, of, <laughs> Social media. I think I would have been leading, especially in athletics. I would have been well out there, you know. So, little bit of oh, that's a bit of a shame. I missed that either, but at the same time, I absolutely love it because I think people can't get away with stuff now. And and you know, we, me, me and Ewan and uh, and uh, Dan Campbell and all that. The stuff we used to get up to in the craziness. I think what like, <laughs> we'd all be in trouble, but not not in the bad way. You know, we've had to have tamed ourselves. So I think. I think the modern athlete in today, everything has got a lot more professional. And I think it's it's actually taken, when I watch the sport now, just track and field, I think the shine is not there of what it used to be. I think there's lots more attention on other things now, which is a bit of a shame because we've got some amazing athletes in this country. I mean, Dina Asher-Smith, great athlete. She's doing very well for herself. But if she was competing... Back 25 years ago, bang, you know, wow, she would have been an uber star, you know, she's a very good looking lady, she's running really fast, she's doing well, I'm not saying she's not doing well because she's she's doing right, but you know what I mean, like, you know, she could walk down the street and I don't think people would recognise her like they would have recognised Sally Gunnell, Colin Jackson, Lynn for Christie back yeah, in the yeah. day. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, it's a different era now, which I think is a shame for the sport because I, I'd like to see the great athletes of today getting more out of it. And I don't think they do. You know, she should have millions of followers. And so, she's most probably got half a million followers. <laughs> I don't know what she's got, but she hasn't got nowhere near the amount of presence of which I believe she deserves. Yeah, yeah. So I take you still watch the sport then, yeah? you still taking yeah, interest? Yeah, still enjoy I didn't... <clears throat> long time I didn't watch it because I went oh, I'm over it let me do other things but now I'm a fan you know I actually loved it I watched the indoors loved it went to the Commonwealth for a day last year actually uh, you know I, I really enjoyed it uh, I'm going to be doing something with the Puma I'm still sponsored by Puma which I think is amazing <laughs> and um, I'm going to be going over to the championships this year so yeah I, I, um, yeah, I, I love the sport it's a sport which gave me what I've got today and I just think
1: how can I not Appreciate that. So, um, yeah, massive fan. Tell me about another big chapter in your life. Was you um, you adopted, like you said earlier earlier on? But you you went on this journey to to just to meet your birth parents, didn't you? Your biological parents, um, your mother yeah. and father. Tell me about that. Um, what did you get from the whole experience?
0: Wow, well, that was that was a great experience, actually. You know, when you get to your forties, you know, early forties, early to mid forties. I, I, I've i got two children now. In fact, I'm a granddad now. Can you believe that? i got <laughs> a granddad <since> <laughs> 15 years old, you know what I mean? I think my, my oldest son's going to be 28 this year. <laughs> What's that about, right? Uh, my youngest, my little baby's 20, living in London. So uh, I'm granddad now. So when you get to that age and you suddenly realise we're not going to be here forever, I didn't want on my tombstone you know, being quite old. I didn't want to be a great athlete, and that's it. I, I I wanted to have a little bit of history of, well, who am I? What's my background? Blah, blah, blah. Like, my, my father's Jamaican, my mother's British. I wanted to know a little bit more about that, so I did a journey on the TV um, searching for my birth mum. If you go on my website, com, into the TV section of it, you can watch the two documentaries. In fact, the first one went a BAFTA, which I was really pleased about, and... I was pleased that it 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 showed how great adoption can be. So I got to meet my birth mother, which was which was kind of crazy, you know, because I was in my forties meeting this woman who's my mother, and yeah. um but she's not my mum because Marilyn, who's raised me, is my mum. You know, it's like really crazy. But I um, really enjoyed that. Unfortunately, my birth mother, she's passed away now. I never got to meet my father, and I never will, I don't think, now, because we couldn't find him. But um, I'd have loved to have met him, too, and just go out my Olympic medal and say, you know what, Dad, I know you haven't raised me, and I know you don't know who I am, really, but your flesh and blood has got a medal. You know what I mean? I'd have loved that, because you know all Jamaicans like athletics, right? i yeah. most of them. So I think he'd be, he'd be a proud man and he's never going to know about it, which is a, which is a bit of a shame. So that was a, a journey in my life, which I've got no regrets. I think I I did a, a lot for the community of adoption and also sort of, you know, uh, charities like Barnardo's, et cetera, et cetera. I think it was a really good,
1: powerful thing to do. i was sorry to hear your biological mother has, has since passed, but what what mm-hmm. what is that moment like when you actually come face to face with your, your, I mean... Oh. It's no, unimaginable no. for somebody who's got a bog standard, you know, um grew up with my biological yeah. parents. What's, what's that moment like? It must be a million questions going to be head and a million, many things going to be head.
0: It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> Just before I opened that door I knew my mother was behind it. Opened the door, saw this lady who was my mum, and my God, my God, really weird, and she was sat down in a chair looking like this. I'm like, What do you do when you meet your mum after forty two years or whatever? Like I went over to her, didn't shake her hand. How does, how do you do that? So I, I, I gave her a rugby tackle. <laughs> I just dived in and I rugby tackled her pretty much. right. and, and we didn't, we didn't show this on the TV because I thought that moment was mine, you know, and hers. I didn't want the cameras on me that, at that point. So I hugged her and she actually went, Jamie. And I went, oh. And the reason why that hurts so much is my mum and dad have raised me, my name's James. Everyone calls me Jamie, but my mum and dad raised me, so it's James Boltsch on my passport. But my birth mother called me Jamie. So my mum and dad still call me Jamie, even though my birth, yeah, you know, so, so yeah. when, when Teresa, my birth mother actually said my name, I went, oh, and it broke me because I knew that's what she named me. And I had, I cried straight away and she was crying and we just had this moment which was just a, A really nice moment and and yes even though she's not here now she was only meant to live for six months after i met her she had cancer and she lived for another two years and so we had two years of getting to really meet each other and i think they were magical moments you know Mm, lovely lovely another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. Member FDSE.
0: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. com slash weight loss.
1: Good. Um, and tell me about bid-aid. Bid-aid's your, your big thing, isn't it, as well? What's that about? Yeah,
0: Bid Aid's my main thing, this is what I do, I'm involved in quite a few things, Bid Aid, you win, but Bid Aid's my main thing, and it's a silent auction company which raises money for charities around the world. A lot in the UK because we're based here, but we've done auctions in, got lots of auctions in Germany, in Austria, we've done a few down in um, Monaco, we've done some and now in America. So what, what is that? We go to dinners, events around the world with pieces of art, memorabilia experiences and people use my platform, which you can use your mobile phone on to bid on it and money goes to charity. We've raised millions for charity now and I'm, I'm really proud about that. Um, we're not the biggest company in the world because I haven't talked about it, you know, outwardly as such, but one of the things we're going to be doing is is going to be exploding this year over the next couple of years. So, yeah, I'm really proud of that. Um, very different to athletics, totally different to what I used to do. But it's in the it's it's in the space of sport to a degree, so I do a lot
1: of sports memorabilia in it. So um, yeah, really pleased with that. Is there any is there any bits of memorabilia you've seen you thought oh I quite oh, fancy a bit of that myself actually? Yeah, I, well
0: over the years I've had a few pieces which um I've liked. Like I've got I had um something signed of Bruce Lee's. Like oh yeah, like really cool. And because it's my job, you know, you can either get a motive with it and go, oh, let me keep it or not. But I went, no, 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 no. I, I I got rid of it and it sold for a hell of a lot of money. Um, but one of the ones which I I have got, which I've still got, which isn't precious to me, but I like is a signed relay baton of Usain Bolt. And yeah. the the reason I like it is because I got it signed. Um, I was there sort of when he signed it. Um, and We've made this like wooden box case to, for it to go in with a perspex top, and it just looks really beautiful. And it, I, it's, it's yeah. stashed in, in the storage. And when I, and when I, um, whenever I see it, I go, I need to get rid of that, but I keep going, oh, but <laughs> it's just yeah. involved. You know? Yeah, it's it's good that. Yeah, it's one or two things. I used to do all the official Welsh rugby memorabilia. So I, when I retired from no. athletics for ten years, I produced all their memorabilia, which was signed shirts. Nobody knew I was doing it, but it was my, you know, right. I was no the world. And one of the things, being a Welsh guy, obviously, which I really wish I'd kept one. It was a really famous game when Wales beat England thirty to three. And All it right. was
1: actually. Oh, I've forgotten about that one. I don't remember yeah. much about that.
0: <laughs> Everyone in English forgets it, don't they? The obvious reason, but I don't. And, uh, and I actually had five of the balls, the actual match balls with mud on. They played that day, oh, you know, right. because they don't just have one ball for the game. If a guest kicked out, another ball comes into play, right? And because I was doing, I had the official license. I had. Five of the match balls, yeah. and I got one signed by Sam Warburton, another signed by, you know, what I mean, Lee Halfpenny, and th- they sold. they sold
1: rapidly. Do you I know what? Said- I do remember that game now. It, it, it was actually a, it was a Grand Slam decider as well. It's yeah, about, yeah, it was. Yeah, about it was eight, like, nine years ago, into about now. Yeah, I do yeah, remember yeah, it. No, it was, it was the one. I mean, it was. I do I was remember it. Now, like,
0: yeah. I just remember Jamie Roberts being like a trojan in that in that game yeah it was an amazing amazing game and um yeah it was uh it was good to be there and but yeah. even more special to have it and in fact i've got a picture with my son um holding all five balls like that holding them all like yeah. before we told them and I, I just look at that picture i saw it not long ago funny enough and I just think oh I wish I kept one of them because
1: that was a piece of history really. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that game. I I do, I remember just making a special effort to watch it as well and just <laughs> being so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally, how, how do you sum up your career then, Jamie? Back now? Uh,
0: my career, summing it up in one in a couple of words really. Um very grateful um very grateful to have had the opportunity to have achieved or i've achieved to be around such great people not just the athletes not just the coaches but friends and people who i met throughout the years and you know they those moments will never go um i could i could phone somebody up in the usa now um whoever it may be an athlete i used to compete against and they would met, welcome me with with loving arms and that's the lovely beautiful thing about athletics it's global, and you keep global friend, friends for years. So very, 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 very lucky. Good, good
1: stuff. Thanks, Jamie. It's been great catching up with you. Thanks she for joining the podcast. every moment. Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcast.